Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 354. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Great Women and Aliens Month doubleheader this week for you, featuring author Sylvia Spruck Wrigley. But first, let's get to a hundred word story. Our Drabble this week is called Zither, and it comes to us from Rhiannon Rasmussen. Here goes. Kresala set the stained zither across her feathered thighs. She was not playing for handouts today. Most people avoided the loading docks of the spaceport, especially this empty bay, scarred by fatal accidents among lumbering cargo cranes. She tuned the strings, then plucked out a chasing ghost song. Discordant notes drew restless spirits in. A whisper, a gust, spun out from between open airlock doors, scattering dust and flakes of yellow warning paint. She lured it with melody, closer, closer, then slapped her hand against the zither once, twice. The wind died. Chrysala smiled. A new stain marked her zither's belly. And on to our doubleheader special this week, Alienated and Old Flames by Sylvia Spruck Wrigley. Sylvia was born in Germany and spent her childhood in Los Angeles. She now splits her time between South Wales and the Costa del Sol, two coastal regions with almost nothing in common. She was nominated for a 2013 Nebula Award for her short story, Alive, Alive O. Sylvia's short stories have appeared in Daily Science Fiction, Nature's Futures, and Lightspeed, and has a fantasy novella forthcoming from the Tor.com novella imprint. You can find out more about her at www.intrigue.co.uk. And per usual with doubleheader specials, you can hear a bit from Sylvia herself after our stories this week about their origins, inspiration, general background, in an author's note. Good times. Our stories are partly read to you by Naomi Mercer. Naomi's been a working voiceover actor for nine years and has been doing it full-time since 2008. In addition to voiceover work, she's a talented audio producer, an actress, a talk show host, and a rapper. Cause motherfuckers act like they forgot about Nay. Y'all know me, still the same OG, but I've been low-key, hated on by most these I was just looking at Naomi's IMDB profile to put together a bio for her and saw she played the C-Sec customs officer in Mass Effect 2. You remember that chick, right? Always giving you shit when you just walked in after a long flight, trying to bring in your geth or something and getting all sorts of nonsense for it. I'm sorry, but I can't let you board the shuttle with that. But this is a ceremonial item of my people. Sir, it's a 15 centimeter serrated blade. You humans are all racist. Anyways, pretty cool. All right, without further ado, we bring you Alienated and Old Flames by Sylvia Spruck Wrigley. Alone, but not lonely. Three days we've been on this planet, over a year Earth time, but we don't talk about Earth time anymore. It weakens morale, says over General Halfish. 
My morale went out the window when I found out that I was sentenced to be transported off-planet. I was never one of those girls with rocket ships and toy telescopes. I had a hermit Barbie with a pink plastic cave in which she kept her 14 pairs of shoes and 13 ball gowns. I was never an explorer. I just wanted a quiet life with pretty things. A pink plastic cave would suit me just fine. I killed my husband. I got off light. Five months transport and 20 years on the colony. More than twice as long as my marriage lasted. For eight years, I wore $1,000 designer dresses and three-inch heels and silk scarves to hide the bruises on my arms. <laughs> now look at me, wearing a gray jumpsuit with neon orange reflectors digging up stunted purple fingerlings as part of some insane terraforming project in the middle of System 5088B. At least we're not locked up. There's no chance of escape. We have caches of dried goods and imported water tanks. We also have Sir Over General Halfish, who doesn't want anyone forgetting that this is punishment. Orbital solar mirrors were the miracle solution to the Goldilocks problem. They say this place was uninhabitable, no native plants, just desert wasteland and solar winds. Sounds like Albuquerque to me. No one cares what might have come before. No one but me. I see them. Bright green swirls in the darkness, hovering over the orange-brown dunes. Sir Overgeneral tells me not to worry my pretty little head. It's just swamp gas. He doesn't believe anything's out there because he's never seen anything. They don't show up until late shift, when we're meant to be indoors with blinds down. They gather on the outskirts of our hovel. And they watch. So I watch back. My married life taught me to avoid attracting attention. So I sit perfectly still, just the quiet sound of homemade purple fingerling schnapps splashing into my plastic cup. My secret still is why I've been out during late shift in the first place. There's yeast here too. Not that I've told anyone. That's not the point. The point is, reconnaissance looks the same all over the universe. They formed an acid green perimeter around our settlement and shimmered along the vegetable gardens and inched right up to the security blinds. Then they pulled back and melted into the wind-blasted dunes, where the overgeneral keeps telling me no life could survive. I never saw any need to follow them. I figured I've done my bit, telling overgeneral, Sir, I think you'll find there was something here first. And now they've come up almost every night. I didn't know they even knew I was there until Warden Lecter caught me. I was creeping back into the compound after checking my still when she sprang out from the water tanks. She's the worst of the wardens. There's something not quite right about her. I mean, something weird beyond voluntarily relocating to a poisonous planet to bully three dozen women. I stood tall, hoping she couldn't hear my heart thudding. You should be in your hut, she growled. Yes, ma'am, I said and turned to go. She put a heavy hand on my shoulder to stop me. I flinched and held my hands up. When she laughed, I knew I was in trouble. Just then, the green mist shimmered around the edges of the compound. Should have thought about that before you went sneaking, she grinned. The green mist swirled up behind her. I twisted and bolted straight to my hut, slamming the door behind me. The only sound was my pounding heart. Once I caught my breath, I cracked the door open. There was no sign of Lecter.
The green mist flared and then faded into the hills. I went to bed and stared at the ceiling until the first bell. The compound was in an uproar. Warden Lecter disappeared without a trace, they said. I didn't say a word. A week later, they found her bones behind the water tanks. Not an ounce of flesh to be found. Just her bones, clean as a school experiment. I stayed inside during late shift after that. Forget the still, my tastes of freedom. I buckled down to do my time. But the next time Sir Over General Halfish sneered at me as worthless, I started thinking about that night again. I mean, Lecter must have run when I started running, right? Even if just to catch up to me. So how come I got away and she didn't? Other than they were already used to me, sitting outside, sharing the stars. Or maybe they just don't like the smell of my schnapps. Hell if I know. But it seems like they would be good friends to keep. Shimmery, scary friends that eat people, sure. But then I'm not exactly spoiled for choice. So now I set my lawn chair out each late night shift when I know everyone else is safely asleep. And I watch. The mists know I'm here. They whirlpool around my lawn chair. I figure we have a truce of sorts. And if that truce doesn't extend to others, well, that's not my problem. The purple fingerlings are growing fine, and the water tanks are hooked up with enough water to keep 50 of us going for a decade. There's no one else due here for a while. Just us and the mists. I'm happy to lure the overgeneral out of his hut, if that'll keep them happy. Maybe the rest, too. Maybe this could be paradise after all. Gunther sat in stoic silence, a woolen blanket folded over his lap, facing the fireplace. Ada set her basket of fabric and lace onto the frayed rug and eased herself into the chair next to his, pulling it closer to the fire. He kept his eyes on the flickering flames. So, it's over? There was no point in denying it. Our men have surrendered. The soldiers have taken the palace. He grunted. Outside, a whistling sound, and then the bang of a firework. The victory celebration begins, she said, swallowing hard. She closed the shutters against the scent of gunpowder and tugged her sewing out of the basket. Do you remember when we came to the city, the victory ball? Those were happy times, Gunther said. His face was dreamy with recollection as he rocked back and forth. You were sixteen. Thirteen, said Ada, just turned. It wasn't a victory for the city, only for them, the occupiers. Ada kept her eyes firmly on stitching lace edging onto the pale silk piled up in her lap. But never mind, it doesn't matter anymore. It was your first ball. You were nervous. My godmother insisted. She made my dress herself. Gunther picked up a pine cone and tossed it into the fire. The flames flared as they devoured it. You were beautiful, he said. She shifted the chair away so he wouldn't see the shimmer of tears in her eyes. Never mind. I'll never forget that night. You disappeared just as the grandfather clock chimed midnight. Duke Thedibald tried to stick his tongue down my throat. I ran. And all that was left was a single sparkling slipper. 
silver sequins. I tripped running down the stairs. I kicked the other one off when I reached the street. He nudged the glowing embers together with the blackened poker. I was frantic. I couldn't believe you'd disappeared. My godmother was furious with me, accused me of causing trouble for everyone. They sat in silence for a moment. I was so happy to have finally found you. It was love at first sight. It was protection for me, for my family. I had no choice. The needle pricked her wrinkled finger, and she swore under her breath. I was so happy, he repeated, turning towards her. Ada just sighed, eyes focused on her stitching. Another firework exploded in the streets. It was a long time ago, he said. That's true. She put her hands in her lap, looking at him for the first time. It was a very long time ago. He smiled under her gaze. What are you thinking? A dress for Rosamund, said Ada. There will be a ball. I told her she should go. The smile faded from his crinkled face. Is that wise? Ada jabbed at the hem with a needle. She'll be fine. The dying flames cast shadows across the room. But she's so young. Just turned thirteen, said Ada. She swiped a tear away and focused on her stitching. Never mind. It doesn't matter anymore. Hi, this is Sylvia. These two stories are fun to look at, as they are both favorites of mine, but they were written in very different ways. Alienated. I started with the character, an older woman who never wanted to see the stars or go on adventures. Her Barbie only had 13 ball gowns, because she ruined one when she tried to dye it black for her teddy bear's funeral. I spent so much time dreaming of the stars, it was interesting to think of someone who didn't want to go, and how she might end up there anyway. She was an interesting character, and the story appeared around her. I hope you enjoyed both stories, and it was fun to join you all on Drabblecast. Good stuff. Let's close things out this week with our 100 character story winner by Groom Porter. Here goes. The alien evolved to be cute and cuddly as a reproductive strategy. That explained the wave of immaculate conceptions. 100 character stories, not counting spaces. We, of course, call them twabbles. We run a weekly contest through our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. You can participate by writing your own and posting it there. You might be next week's winner. We post the winners early each week in our Twitter feed, at the Treblecast. Follow us there if you enjoy Twitter. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Travelcast is brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Tell a friend, write us a review on iTunes, spread the weird. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Mary Mattice. Mary's an illustrator operating out of Boulder, Colorado. More of her work can be found at amateuritis.deviantart.com. 
Our program this week was brought to you by Special Anthologies editor Nikki Drayden, our chief editor Nathan Lee, our art director Bo Kyer, with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you, it was your first ball. You were nervous.